And then, starting from verse, chapter 11, he's going to begin with restoration. So up until this point, it's going to be a little bit not fun, but but starting tomorrow, we're going to get into the exciting part. Okay, and so don't you feel good right now? That it feels as if glory is approaching us, right? And we, we waited, for, I think it feels as if God has been waiting for us for a long time. Now, of course, there's been much uh, suffering, much much hardships, but and, and we see all that, and, and yet we're seeing that God is also starting to move, amen? And all this time of darkness, okay, look, I can't guarantee that it's going to get better. Honestly, it's probably not, and so don't don't expect it to get better. That the darkness is only going to get darker and darker and deeper and deeper. And, and so only by faith will we be able to survive. But that is where our joy is, is that, yes, by faith alone we will live. And so continually, uh, if you think that you have faith and then you're adding to that faith other things, worldly standards, and is that's what's going to cause your downfall. And that is also what's going to separate the real, the true, and the false. And so in this season, it's time for us to train and practice living by God alone, by yearning for that and, and, and desiring that to have deeper fellowship with God. And so pastors, you are doing this pastoral ministry right now, but do not bind yourself to your ministry. Do not bind yourself to the worry and to the concerns of your own ministry but but do not let any element to obstruct your coming closer to God because nothing nothing can should come between you and God even if that is your pastoral ministry and so you may say think to yourself that shouldn't a pastor give his everything to his ministry no, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that a pastor should give everything to the pastoral ministry. No, you should give everything to God and to the truth. And in that context, if God calls you to pastoral ministry, calls you to do uh, your pastoral things, that's where you do it. But that sh you should not let yourself and your things be your goal. If that gets, there's so many people who trip on this. And so at any time, Pastors, if God calls you away from it, you need to be able to leave at any time. And so you need to always be ready to, to go whenever God calls. I mean, your pastoral ministry isn't your career. And so whenever God may call you, that's the freedom you need to have. The, 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 uh, yeah, the freedom you need to have. So you need to keep asking God constantly, is it time for me to leave? And I ask God this all the time. God, it feels as if I have nothing left to do in Yerban Church. And I say this often to God. It seems as if I have nothing left to do. Right, really? I've already preached pretty much all 66 books of the Bible. It seems like there's not much for me to do in, in Yerban Church anymore. Should I maybe go to IT? I feel like IT is calling to me. I don't care if a bullet would, if they sh if they shoot me with a bullet. I mean, if I were to die with a gun, it's okay. I don't care, you know. And so, as a pastor, we need to be free. We need to be 
flexible at all times. And when you try to settle down, that is deception. Okay? It's, it's not to the pastoral ministry that we give our lives, but to God and to the gospel we give our lives. So pastors, you need to die for the Lord and for His gospel, not for your ministry. Then do you, and hey you, do you still want to be a pastor? Are you going to give your life for your pastoral ministry? Okay, you don't have the calling, just, just quit, right? You don't have the calling, do you? Are you sure? So let's turn to Hosea 10. There's actually not much to say here because we've already said it. And so, so let's go over this really quickly and finish quickly tonight. Okay, and so that's why this season is inspiration. Though it's difficult, it's really hard. And yet, I mean, so much attacks is, is flooding over us. But, and yet, because of how much God is supporting us and how much God is pushing us onward, it is inspiration and it is joy. So have great expectations. It is this glory that, that allows us to be victorious in this time of darkness. Amen. And he knows how difficult the times are. And so anyways, Hosea. So Hosea is coming to a close. And actually, uh, throughout the books of six, six books of the Bible, whenever I finished the book, I had this inspiration that God gave this book for a reason. And there was fruit that we bore because of that book. And in Hosea, when you receive it in faith, what's inside of you you will see what is mixed. You will see the syncretic nature inside of you. And those things need to surface. And above all else, when it comes to Hosea and Amos, it's about putting the truth as objective standard for your life. And that, that means that you have received this book properly. And so... And so from the perspective of Jew, let's let's say that blessing opens a hundred doors, right? The enemy is not trying to close all hundred doors to kill us. No. Just through one door that, that, that they can go in, that they will kill me through that one door. And so you should not open even a single door to the enemy. That's really important as pastors. Okay, that's why in the in throughout the New Testament it says blameless, right? Blameless. That there is no aspect in your life that can that can be a reason for the enemy to cause you to stumble. And if you live by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you in this way. That if you live by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave any footfall for you to trip over the enemy. It's not about me making this inside of me. That's what's important. It's for me to live by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I've been preaching this series on the Holy Spirit for the past few weeks. That uh, I've been emphasizing in our church to live by the Holy Spirit. And so, if you don't live by the Holy Spirit, then you are living by your flesh. This is the objective truth. If you are not living by the Holy Spirit, then you are living by the flesh. It's one or the other. There is no in-between. And if you live by the flesh, then as much as you live by the flesh, the vanity of that is that you're constantly being oppressed by the devil. And so if this becomes a structure inside of you, then the enemy has free reign over you. The free, free reign to speak give you unbelief, free reign to give you all kinds of worldly standards so that you move according to that standard. And so 
all of these doors needs to be closed and in this season of glory to be able to open up only to the glory of God. And that's how important it is to live by the Holy Spirit in this era. Amen. And so as Hosea finishes, that's what you need to see is what is mixed inside of you. What has been syncretic inside of you. And also that the truth of God is the objective standard for me. That that truth is objective truth. And so chapter 9 was judgment over the fertility worship. And chapter 10 is now judgment over the worship of Baal. Especially... Uh, the, 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 the calf of Beth Avon. And this was uh, the symbol of their worship of fertility. And so from Bethel, they, they moved the place of worship and they established golden calves in Bethel and saying that this is your God who has saved you from Egypt. And really, if you go to Bethel, that altar is still there. That altar is still there. And so ultimately... Northern Israel, the reason why they could not help but be destroyed is because they were beings who were to serve God alone. And because God chose his place of worship in Jerusalem for their benefit, for their political gain, they turned their back on Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem, and that's what God desires, and they rejected it, and they turned their back on it based on what their needs were. And it's the same thing with your calling. If, you have, if you're called to this church, but if you turn away from this calling for your own personal benefit, for your own gain, then that's going to cause this hardship for you because it's about God's calling. Where does God want you to be? We need to be flexible enough to be obedient to wherever He may call. Because we are children of the king, we should not turn away from the call of the king. And so wherever he may call us, wherever his calling is, that is where we need to be. And so God, should I, where do, are you calling me? And I have nothing left to do, but these thoughts are my thoughts. They're not God's thoughts, but I still ask God. And so for the past 20 years, as I've been doing Zoom ministry, I've been really conflicted. Lord, should I do this? Am I supposed to be here? Should, shouldn't I be somewhere else? I keep asking God. And I've even tried, attempted to flee. But every single time, God would hold me like an enemy, like a clinging enemy. And so, up to, and so that has led me to this point. And gratefully and thankfully that I'm here remaining with you. Amen? Being united with you. And really... Whenever you move according to God's will, it always leads to beautiful result. And so this beauty, right? This beauty of our meeting. So let's look at the judgment from verses 1 through 8 regarding the, the, the calf, the idolatry of Beth-Avon from Bethel. And so Beth-Avon is uh, another name for Bethel, which is a name that is more cursed than Bethel. And so meaning that Bethel has been polluted. And so looking at verse 1, Israel is a luxurious vine that yields its fruit. And so in Jew, in, in, in Hebrew, uh, the context here is that it yields its fruit on its own. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Remember, 
the vine is symbol of God's blessing. And so, and so ever since uh, Jeroboam II, for about 30 years, northern Israel and southern Judah uh, was at its richest point after the era of Solomon. Right? And even though they were so rich, instead of giving glory to God, it should have been a reason for them to give glory to God, but instead of giving it to God, rather, because of these things, they continually turned their back on God and, and worshipped Baal. And so the important thing is, is this, is this principle, which you need to understand, is that what I can do, what I have, that's not what's important. This is not important primarily, that no matter what I receive, I need to be a being that can receive God's goodness. And so that means that it's about me living in new self, not living in the old self. Because if you live in the old self, no matter what is given to you, you ca it cannot be made in, it cannot be received in goodness. Whether it's money, wisdom, power, authority, fame, none of that can be used for goodness. But if you, in, conversely, if you're receiving in the new self, no matter what is given to you or what is not given to you, it all leads to your goodness. And so this is what it means to be vigilant. This is what it means to be alert to God. And so, and so as long as you're living in the new self, there is no problem. And so God gave them riches, but instead of it being a blessing to them, it, it, it was a curse. Instead of glorifying God, they refused to glorify God. And though they, were, they had all these riches, in 30 years, they would be wiped off the face of the earth. And so, historically speaking, one nation rising up to be a very powerful regional power and then being wiped off the face of the earth in 30 years, that doesn't happen often in history. Usually it takes a generation or two generations. And yet, and, but what we can see through this is that no matter how the world may think that we will last forever, they do not. For example, even during the Neo-Babylonian Empire, right, after Nabonidus, already uh, the, the empire fell on its knees. Right, in Mesopotamia, though they were the strongest empire, it was considered one of the glorious empires, it was wiped off. And so what we can see is that we need to worship God. We need to be in awe of God and reverence of God. And this is what Israel lost sight of. And so with this abundance, with these riches, instead of giving glory to God, um, failing to give glory to God, they, they were destroyed after 30 years. And so here it would say, lo, for themselves, right, that, that they yielded its fruit for themselves. And so it was for their own pleasure that they were trying to receive things. That, and so they, they were uh, interpreting everything for their own benefit, for their own good. And it was in their self-centered, and that led to destruction. So if you live by the flesh, if you live by sarks, then you cannot help but live self-centered. This is principle. There is no exception. This is the principle. The flesh moves self-centered. If you are self-centered, you are living in the flesh. If you are living in the flesh, you are self-centered. It's all your thoughts, your methods, your ability, your will. And that's what is leading your life. And so what are you building ultimately? You're building your own kingdom. So especially in these end times, uh, the strategy of the Antichrist to control man is this. Is this self-centeredness. 
And so because everyone lives by their own thoughts, because they live by their own self-centered, everything can be controlled easily by the devil, especially through what? Through the tool that is your cell phone. Cell phone is, is, is one of the tools that really makes it so easy for the devil to control you. And so you always need to be wary of your cell phone. Always be wary of your cell phone. I say to you this all the time. The world of God, the spiritual world, doesn't move according to digital concepts. It moves in analog. So we need to purposely try to live our lives in analog. If you keep living digitally, then what's going to die down is revelation. As I, I said this in Second Corinthians as well, right? Paul. Right, he, he's going back to Macedonia. And if he had a cell phone, then he would not have been able to live by, by revelation. And the letter to Corinthians probably would not have existed. Because Corinthian, or not Corinthians, cell phones, you need to be wary is that your cell phone makes you live self-centeredly so well. And so look at the people in the streets these days. Out of 10 of 9, they are all demon-possessed. Why? Though that demon may not be inside of them, that demon can control their mindset at any time, can control them to, to, to stimulate their desires, to, to control them at any time. Because look, where are their eyes glued to? Their eyes are glued to their cell phone, and so their irises are broken down. Their irises have broken down, and their nooses are so polluted. And so when you look at the streets, nine out of ten people are freely controlled by the devil. And so, when we talk about demon possession, it's not doesn't only mean a demon entering into you and moving your body, but even when a demon can control you from outside, outside of your body, that is also demon possession. Actually, honestly, from the perspective of demon, this is more strategic for them, right? If they go into them, then the person becomes crazy, right? And so, that, per that person is not useful to the devil. But because of the cell phone, so many people, 9 out of 10, are possessed by demons. It's because they're constantly living a life of the flesh. They're constantly living by the digital method. And so they are self-centered. And the terrifying thing is that even though the world is being proclaimed to them, because they are living self-centered, they hear only what they want to hear. They hear only what they need to hear, what they think that they need to hear. They hear only what pleases them. They, and so they look to God according to what they need. They look to God only according to what they desire. And so, and you know, even in our church, I can see many people who are living self-centered, and so they are, they are demon possessed. It's just simply they have not opened up to that demon, and so that demon possession is just not manifesting. But they are possessed, and so look, the cell phone makes you live self-centered, and so this life of the flesh is very dangerous. And so, especially to Paul, as he was writing the letter to Second Corinthians, and also in Romans, in Romans eight, what does it say? That the life of the flesh, do not just be adequately wary. Do not compromise. Don't even allow compromise. What does it say in eight, chapter 8, verse 13? If you live by the flesh, you will surely die. This is the teaching. This is the elementary teaching of Paul. It's because you have been set free by the living Holy Spirit. If you live by faith, if you, go, or if you live by the flesh, you will surely die. 
And so every day we need to be sensitive to this battle that's going on inside me, this severe battle. And we need to fight tenaciously, constantly fighting, knowing that one will die. Either the flesh will die or the spirit will die. That this doesn't end until one dies. And so to Paul, when he had this perspective and he lived his life, then he's not going to just sit idly. He's not just going to compromise. No, he, until that flesh is underfoot, he will not stop. And so it's the same thing with spiritual laziness. What is spiritual laziness? Spiritual laziness is the most dangerous thing to our faith. And this, this, this laziness, ultimately what allows this laziness is that you look, you take this very lightly. You take this flesh lightly. Rather, we need to be like David that has, sets this clear boundary against sin within, out of reverence into God. That is what is going to allow us to set this wall against the flesh. And this, uh, Romans 8.13, needs to be our principle. That if I live by the flesh, I will surely die. And so from this perspective, what does Paul say regarding himself? That I, uh, I uh, force my body to submission. I submit my body to obedience. Now, this isn't talking about living ascetically. This isn't talking about about fl flagellating yourself. No, what it's talking about is do not compromise with the flesh. Do not easily give in to the desires of the flesh. This is the practical way, practical method for you to live in righteousness. And so if you treat the cell phone lightly, thinking that the cell phone is not a big deal, that is how easily you are going to get trapped into the flesh. And so we need to live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? According to what the Holy Spirit says. That is the characteristic of those who live by the Holy Spirit. But if you lose this, then you start to move according to your impulses. You move according to what your flesh desires. And so you fall easily to that flesh. And so what is the flesh? Flesh means that the devil is, is, is interloping. And so if that strength of the flesh gets stronger, that means that living with the Holy Spirit becomes more and more difficult. And so please, brothers, please, brothers, be wary of the life that responds to the flesh. As it says in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, that we need to always have this uh, vigilance to be able to maintain the, uh, the death of Jesus Christ in my body, putting on the death of Jesus Christ in my flesh. That's the response that we need to always be able to have. And, and this is the person who will believe in the truth and who will have true reverence towards God, who will truly fear the Lord. And if you live by the self-centered, we need to be aware that this is dangerous. That especially in these end times, this is the secret that's going to easily make you submit to the mark of the beast, the number 666. Because even right now, the devil has already formed in man uh, the ability to control them. And so as this tribulation comes in these end times, when the Antichrist reveals himself, all these people are going to get captivated by his charisma. And that's because our minds are already being formulated to, to easily respond to that. And so when he reveals himself, people are going to stand in awe of him. They're going to stand in awe of him that, that this hero has arrived. 
but only one people will resist that who is who it is the remnant the remnant who has who has equipped themselves against that and so everyone except for the remnant will 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 stand in awe of the antichrist even though he reveals who he is they're going to stand in awe of him Even now, look at look at look at this idol culture uh, in Korea, right? This idol culture. Whenever they come, look at their fans at how hysterical they become. Right? They are deceived. They are deluded, and so that's why they get. That's why they are hysterical, and it's the same thing what that's going to happen with the Antichrist. They're going to get hysterical. They're going to be fanatical for him. And so as long as our mindset is not bound, we will see this. We'll see this as it says in Revelations. Right, we talked about this in Revelations, right? Revelations, Revelations thirteen eighteen. It says, "This calls for wisdom. Let the one who and so this wisdom is noose. As long as your noose is not corrupted, then in these end times you will see how the devil is using this mark of the beast, the number six six six, to bind men." And so, who are these? They are the holy ones, the holy ones who can understand and calculate the number of the beast. And so, even in Daniel, it says the same thing. This is the using the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel, chapter eleven, thirty-three. What does it say? It says that. Uh, And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And so these wise ones will rise up and establish the remnant. And so these wise will stand, and they will reveal the strategy of the devil and, and continually alert the remnant, awake up the remnant, awaken the remnant to the strategy of the devil. So in these end times, these wise ones, these wise ones, the remnant need to rise. Amen. And so if you live self-centered, then your news will be corrupted, and you will not be able to see these things. And so you will not be able to see the strategy of the enemy. And so that's why it's so important that we do not live by the flesh. Amen. So let's continue. Okay. And so the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. And so even though these riches were given to Israel, that instead of using those riches to glorify God and give thanks to God, rather they built more altars—not just altars to God, but altars to idols, I idols to or altars to evil, to adultery. And so, if we apply this to our age, the more the church of God is established, the more holy the nation should be. But because the church is influenced by the world and is corrupted, the more those churches multiply, the more curse, the more iniquity is added to the nation. It's the same thing that that can be applied to this day and age. That's why it's terrifying if the church is influenced by the world. Just because their sign says that they are a church, that does not make them glorious. Is what kind of church is established? It has to be a church of God. And so, and so, really, how many churches or what kind of church pleases God? If you live according to the fertility and the prosperity of the world, thinking that that's going to give you happiness, is that a church that's going to please God? Is that a church that will be acknowledged by God? No. Rather, it's the churches that are unseen, 
And though we do not know who they may be, but those who are giving their lives for the holiness of God. And even if it's just one soul, that he would stand upright before God. That is the church of God. Amen. And so, beloved servants, listen to my words carefully. Please do not try to understand your ministry from your own perspective. Do not understand the church from your own methods. Look at what pleases God. Because what is the church? The church is the, is the body of Christ that has been purchased by His blood. And so it's not about my plans, my desires, but what God wants, which is His holy church, His holy bride. And in this holy bride, the number is not important. The building is not important. None of these outward appearance factors are important. What's important is that the church of God will be led by God. And so if you keep comparing these things to the standard of the world, constantly being influenced by the world, being influenced by fertility, being influenced by prosperity, don't treat it the church as that because that's not what the church is about. The church is about, is God there? Do we live by what God gives? Whether the world acknowledges this or not, that's not important. And honestly, the world will not acknowledge it because the church of God will not be acknowledged by the world. And so anyways, let's continue. Verse 2, their heart is false. And so this word, their heart is false, means that they had two hearts. And so instead of glorifying God, they were glorifying themselves, glorifying the, their own desires. And out of their own desires, though they worship God in name, they are worshiping their own desires. They are worshiping themselves. And this is the fundamental state of syncretic worship. And so... They should have turned away from God, saying that we don't want God, but they've lived with God for so long. And so this religious, uh, what shall we say, loyalty uh, keeps them with God, but they love the world so much. And so that's why they have these two hearts within them. And so whenever they pray, they cannot, they, God cannot answer their prayers. And so syncretism. These people who have things mixed with God, the problem is, is that no matter how hard they pray, God will not listen. So listen carefully. If we're mixed with God, you will not be pleased with God. But as you, as you turn away from God, what's going to happen is that no matter how much you pray, that prayer will not matter. It will not count for anything. Remember, our lives is about praying to God and He responding and Him giving and we receiving. That's how simple our lives is supposed to be. We pray to God and he, we do not doubt that He will give. Now, of course, when He gives is not a big issue. But what is clear to me is that when I pray, He hears my prayer and He gives. And there is no doubt in this. I have no doubt in this. If He doesn't answer, if by any chance he doesn't answer, or if by any chance he rejects my prayer, then he's going to tell me why. He's going to convince me. And now, for the most part, it means it usually means that I, there's a problem with me. But if I prayed in the name of Lord and my relationship with God is right, and I've been praying for His will, and He rejected my prayer, then He will explain. He will convince me. He will comfort me. And I will come to know that, oh, something was wrong. But what's important here is that no matter what I pray, that I need to have the confidence that God will hear and He receives my prayer. And this is the image of those who have right relationship with God. But many people, as they live in the flesh, 
they treat God like an accessory, like an accessory, like an aid to my to my goals. And so they don't know what they prayed. Not only that, but they don't even know what answers they received. And going beyond that, they pray according to their needs. But if I can solve it, they solve it on their own. They don't look to God. And so these kinds of people, this is the characteristic of those who live but in the flesh. And so look at yourself. Do you remember what kind of prayers you prayed? Do you remember what God has answered? Do you know, did, did God explain why He answered or why He didn't answer? If that's not the case, that means in some way you are in the flesh. That must be clear to you and certain to you. Because if you live with God, that's not how you will live. And even if you did live that way with God, it would not work. God is so clear and He is so uh, specific. It's because you think that it's possible to live even though God doesn't answer my prayer. I cannot live unless God answers. Same thing with David. David, who was the king, he is the king. And, and if God doesn't answer, he cannot live. And so to him, his kingship is not what's important. He doesn't care if his kingdom is taken away from him. As long as he has that joy of the salvation, it's because he has this clear and absolute standard of God's answering his prayers. And that's why he knows. And so it's not about his potential. It's not about his ability. If you have that belief in your potential, in your ability, that means that you do not have this absolute relationship with the Holy Spirit, but you are just serving him in a religious way, like the Gentiles. Just thinking that God is a strong man who you can borrow from time to time. This is the image of those who live by the flesh. And so, anyways, moving on. That's what this means by the two hearts, that their heart is false, that they are mixed. And so we must not be mixed, amen? And so we must be pure, and our target must be clear. It's not about going back and forth. It's not about wavering to and fro, but our, our goal is clear. Our, our direction is clear. If it's towards God, then it will be clear to us. And as we, our direction is towards Him, His face will shine the light of the knowledge of Him upon us, and, and that will be clear to us. If your heart is divided, then whether you're going to God or you're going to the world, you're always going to be conflicted within. Like always worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Always worried about your survival. But God as the absolute ruler, God as the absolute creator, he, you are no longer treating him thus in your, in your spirit. You just think of him as a strong man who, who, who maybe can help you out every now and then. And so that's what happens when you are divided, when your heart is divided. And so and your heart is divided when you are mixed. And that's why we must not be mixed. That God alone, Jesus alone, faith alone. And so the image of those who are tossed through, um, or no, the people, and so the image of those who have this direction, their life, as I always say, is simple. They are not conflicted between whether to do or not to do. It's not to do or not to do. They are just going if God wills it. If God wants it, then I go. If God doesn't want it, I don't go. It's not about whether I can do it or not. My heart is not conflicted within me. My heart is not divided within me, but it's just simply moving according to God. As it says in Psalm 60, that the righteous shall not be shaken. 
Why? Because their target is clear. Because their goal is crystal clear. And so what is that goal? It's that He alone is my hope. My hope is not in me. My hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is not what the world can give, but my hope is in Him, someone who is not divided within His own heart. Amen? And so what else does He say? And so uh, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. And because they are divided, as it says in Romans 8.5, if you live by the flesh, you are enemy to God. You stand opposed to God. And because you're standing opposed to God, of course you must bear their guilt. And so why is this the case? Because if you live by the flesh, if you stand on the flesh's side, you are doing according to what the flesh desires. And what the flesh desires goes against God. What the flesh wants stands opposed to God. And so, and so maybe even if you are doing your pastoral ministry, if you're living in the flesh, though outwardly it may seem like you are, you are being holy, but if it's in the flesh, if in the flesh you are being cursed by God, you are bearing the guilt. Why? Because you are not considering God's will. You are not looking to God. And God is not the source of your ministry, but rather it's out of your flesh. And so what's important is not what you do, but where you, who you are. Are you in God or not? Are you a being who is in God? This is something that you've heard from me for so many years. I've been repeating this so often. I've been saying that it's not the works. It's not the works that you do, right? It's, it's about who you are. If you constantly think that it's about your works, then it's going to be like the parable of the vineyard. Where, where the ones who came at the first hour and they compare themselves and their wages with the one who came in the ninth hour and saying, why do I receive the same wages? Why do I receive? Remember, it's not about your works, but it's about your calling. And so if you, if you understood that the fact that you are working, the fact that you are even called is grace, then any wage would be grace. And so, look, and so... This is the process that's going here, is that when your heart is divided, that is idolatry. That, that you are serving fertility. You are serving fertility cults. So let's continue. And so the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. The, the, the source of their, of their prosperity. Their desires for fertility and prosperity. I'm going to use fertility and prosperity interchangeably. Okay. And so God is going to curse these things. God is going to curse these things and break them down. Right? Right? Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah outside of God. And so that was taken from him. Abraham lost Ishmael, which he took outside of God. And this is the blessing of Israel, actually. That if Israel takes anything that God doesn't want, God will take that from them. And so to the children of God, to Israel... If they take something that God doesn't want, then that being taken from them is a blessing, not a curse. And so we must not live by what, what we want. We must not live by what we desire. You may think that, what, what is, how is this a blessing? But this is a blessing because God is not going to leave you to be divided within. God is not going to leave you to be conflicted within. And this is your blessing. And to me, this is actually inspirational. This is joy. That if God was to leave me alone to do whatever I please, I would fall into despair. But I'm, I'm, I'm inspired and in awe and in reverence that God is so concerned with, with my life, with every aspect of my life.
And so we truly need to stand humble before God. That, and so, Lord, if I ever have anything that you do not desire, take it from me. Take it from me. If, verse 3. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? And so, as they, they now must bear their guilt, and so suffering comes. And so this suffering was probably Assyria attacking against them, and that time comes upon them. And as it comes upon them, in the midst of this severe suffering, they look to God, right? And they're finally understanding their sin. And so from that perspective, suffering is, is important. Two men of God, of course, times of abundance, is, it's important to spend that time well, but it's also important to spend the time of suffering well. That in the time of suffering, what is my evil? What is my corruption? And so as you enter into this time of suffering, when you look at the time of suffering as a whole, it's actually a blessing because this is a time that you can see yourself. And so you can see what wickedness is inside of you. It's a time for you to cry out to God. Amen. And so what does Israel say? For we do not fear the Lord. We have no king. And so, ah, we, we belittled God. We mocked God and we did not fear the Lord. And this was our problem. And this is a good, this is a good diagno diagnosis. When the world enters and the flesh stands firm, when the flesh stands up, they will belittle God and they will belittle the Word of God and they will be filled with unbelief to the point where, where disobedience and rebellion is not something that they are afraid of. And so if it's easy for you to respond in the flesh, that is clear evidence that you are filled with the flesh. If you're filled with worldly standard, that means that it's clear evidence that, that you are treating God's will with belittlement. And so, and so this is how you can see whether you are living godly or not. Do I truly have reverence towards God? Is God's word truly absolute in my life? Is it objective truth in my life? Is it intimate in my life? Am I close to God? Am I closer to God? Am I sensitive to His will and plan? That is the secret, or that is the image of godly living. And so, and so for we do not fear the Lord, we have no king. And so because Israel is is judged they no longer have a king this is a symbol of them being judged and a king what could he do for us and so they finally understand that a king a worldly king can do nothing for them and so look even in this day people think that presidents can do something or kings can do something for us but it's vain man cannot do anything for us and yet why do people choose kings because this is the way the world flows Right, whether it's a king or a president, they are not the one who shapes history. It is the church of God who, who shapes history. That must be clear to you. Now, that doesn't mean to rebel against them and to belittle them. No. Of course, according to the principle, God is under what we are understanding is that everything is under God's dominion, it's under His hands. And so, Ah, God alone is king, but they're finally seeing that ah, we thought that the world could do something for us by setting them up as king. It's God who needs to continually be reigning over us. 
And so, and so the, what they finally realize is that I became king, that I made myself king. That's what they're finally understanding, that the world moved inside of me so that I made myself king. So we need to be able to repent of these things. And so the dominion of God must become more intimate with our lives, must be more hand in hand with our lives. And so that's why the Holy Spirit comes inside of us to, to teach us of sin, judge, righteousness, and judgment, right? And to, to convict us of these things. And so let's continue. Verse 4. They utter mere words with empty oaths, or so they utter mere words. And so this is again the world. They, they utter mere words. Why? Because they lose eternity. And when they lose eternity, they, what can they say that has meaning? Because they are intemporal, they, they, nothing that they say has meaning. Right? And, and, and the, the focus of the flesh is that they have empty oaths. And so with empty oaths, they make covenants. So they are, and so the flesh is a liar. Why is it a liar? It's not because they want to lie. Maybe they do, but the flesh is a liar. And because they are a liar, because they, they belong to the father of lies, Satan, right? And so the flesh can't help but lie. And so when the flesh guarantees, do not trust it. Do not put confidence in any guarantee of the flesh. That God alone is true. God alone is trustworthy. And so what should we pray? We should pray that, Lord, you would restore a right right spirit within me that I would be right before you what does that mean that I'm not living in the flesh Lord that's what that prayer is about is that I would live in the spirit that you would restore a right spirit inside of me that everything that's within me would be a spirit that is open to God if you keep living in the flesh look if you keep receiving darkness then you will not be open to God. You will not stand open to God because you don't know where your hurts are. You don't know where this filth is. You don't know because you cannot open yourself to God. You cannot know. And that is the pain of those who live in the flesh. But if you are constantly immersed in the glory of God, you keep opening yourself up, opening yourself up more. That, ah, here is my wickedness. Ah, here is my hurts and wounds. Ah, this became, this became a, set, a source of inferiority inside of me. Ah, this became a source of envy inside of me. And so you no longer bound in your relationship with people. Those people who are immersed in the glory of God, they will not be bound in their relationship with other people. And so if your relationship with God is right, you will have authority over people. You have authority over personnel. That you will not be tossed to and fro by people, by, by, by emotions. And so, and so if you are immersed in God, then you, you will see that, ah, it's because of these hurts and wounds, it's because of this wickedness that I moved according to my thoughts, and that's what bound my relationship with this person. It's what caused me to hate this person. And so, spiritual authority, personal authority, material authority, it, it, it moves according to the principle, the order of God. And so, what do we need to be? We need to be immersed in God's glory. And so, if I'm bound, it's not that person that is, that is going to die, but I'm dying because of my hatred towards that person. And so, being open to all of these things, to be able to see all of these things, that's what it means to have a right spirit. If that's not right spirit, if you're not open to God, then not only are you not aware, but you're also going to constantly, unconsciously try to hide yourself, unconsciously keep trying to close yourself off. And so, really, spiritually speaking, what is interpretation? Interpretation. 
If you cannot hear what their spirit is saying, that means that their spirit is closed, that their hurts, their bindings is closing themselves off. Now, of course, some people may be able to see through the word of, of wisdom, God's words of wisdom, to be able to reveal those things anyways. But because of the shame, because of this despair, because of this discouragement, they close themselves off. And so... The more you are immersed in God, the more clean that that interpretation will be because you are opened up. You are opened up because you are loosened. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. And so the kings of this world sets up, make covenants in empty oaths. And so they cannot judge rightly. And so these judgments spring up like po poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. That their judgments cause people to die. And so there is no trust, there is no confidence in the kings of this world. There is no confidence in the princes of this world. It is about us moving. And so, and because we have that authority, and so we are the ones who need to move history, amen, because we are the church of God. And so do not trust, conf put confidence in the rulers of this world. And so moving on to verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. And so as I said earlier, uh, it's about the worship of the calf at Bethel, you know, seeking fertility, pros uh, prosperity. And so, what, but why does it say the inhabitants of Samaria? Samaria was the capital, right? And so they are the, the, the center of, of this kingdom. They are the source of the leadership. And so they tremble because of that calf. So that calf becomes the source of their fear. And so at that time, remember, warfare between these classical era uh, kingdoms, they believed that when they won, that their gods conquered the gods of the defeated and so when Assyria defeats northern Israel they think that the Assyrian gods destroyed the northern Israel gods and so what they the, the idols that they worship that they considered their prosperity is going to be the source of their fear is going to be the source of their defeat is going to be the source of their trembling and so spiritually speaking, that's the case. If you serve the, 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 if you worship and seek power, the strength of Babylon, then ultimately you're always going to find a stronger person. You're always going to find a more powerful person. You're always going to find a bigger fish. And that bigger fish is going to be the source of your destruction. And so if you worship strength like Babylon, then ultimately you will be defeated because there's always a bigger fish. And so this prosperity, this fertility, you think that that's going to save you, but that's actually the source of your death. And so not only will they tremble, but the people mourn for it. They, and so do its idolatrous priests, right? Because this altar becomes the source of their sorrow. And so 
And so, because they rejoiced over and over its glory. What is the glory? The glory to them is gold. And they think that this gold is glorious to them, but this gold is nothing. And so this gold becomes the source that they thought that they would rejoice over it, but now it becomes something that they mourn for, because for it has departed from them. For this gold has been taken from them. This prosperity has been taken from them. And so you need to make this, apply this as a principle in your life, that, that we cannot serve the, the strength of Babylon. And so verse 6, the thing itself shall be carried to a certain and so the idol itself, the idol that they set for themselves is going to be taken to Assyria as a spoil of war, as tribute to the great king. And so as tribute to the great king, who is this great king? It's probably Tiglath-Pileser III of, of Assyria. And Ephraim shall be put to shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. And so even this idol being taken from them is shame but the fact that they have been pillaged the fact that they have been defeated is the source of their shame and so israel will be ashamed of its plan will be ashamed of its idol and so you know they went they stood on Assyria's side one day and then Egypt's side on this side, moving and they thought that this would save them, but this leads to their doom. They, when they live by their thoughts, they live by their, their plans, they, that, 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 uh, they, they will come to their limitations. Only God's plan and God's will lasts forever. So moving on to verse 7. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. So... Why does he say Samaria's king instead of North, northern Israel's king? Because Samaria was the source of their riches, right? Was the concentration of their riches. And so he's judging that. And so Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. Hallelujah. This, this is the principle of things. That there is no, nothing worthy in the world. And so above all else, put no confidence in the world. Do not expect the world can do anything for you. Amen. So if you live by the flesh, and this will happen, that the world thinks that, oh, it's because of this person, it's because I don't have this, it's because I don't have this. You think that this will guarantee your life, but it's only for a moment. We need to understand that it's all in vain, that Yo, Yo, Jehovah alone is my rock, that, I, that my confidence in Him is everything. And so when I trust in Him alone and I live by Him, then you understand that He is my fortress, that He is my tower. Amen? And so verse 8. We're moving fast, yes? And so what does it say in verse 8? The high place of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorns and thistles shall grow up on their altars. So the high places of Avon. So earlier we saw Beth Avon, right? Beth Avon is a high place, a place of worship of idols, a place for fertility cults, right? They would always look for beautiful places in the high places, and that was that was the representative of their of their idolatry. And this place will be destroyed. The high places of Avon will be destroyed. Thorns and thistles shall grow up on their altars, and so prosperity, this desire to possess outside of God. This will become a thorn in my side. This will become a thistle against me to stab me. And this, you need to engrave this into your soul. Look at, look at the rich men of this world, how torturous their lives is. And I know their life a little bit, that, be, that they're willing to sell their children for money. 
that because of their money, their children fight amongst themselves. That's how scary this world is. And so, riches is the enemy. Money is the enemy, right? More money, more problems. And then what else does it say? And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So this, they, uh, Jesus uses this in the New Testament in Luke, and John also uses it. And so how terrifying is this fact that they say to the mountains, cover us, to hurry up and kill us. And then when, and when it's used in Revelations, how scary the judgment of the Lamb will be that in Revelations, that, that, that's what the people say, is that they, they say to the mountains to cover us. And then so how terrifying is the judgment of God, the wrath of God for us betraying Him, that they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So now, from verse 9 to 15 is the next section. And now finally, there's judgment of warfare. So because it's, we're constantly proclaiming judgment, it's, it's getting boring, isn't it? But if we do not live by God, that is terrifying. It is, it is dangerous. It's because we live by God that we are confident. If we do not live by God, then, then all men live in fear, always. It's because of flesh that they do not know that they are living in that fear. Because their spiritual eyes have been closed, they are not aware of that fear that drives them. But, but honestly, there is this terrifying terror holding over man. And in these end times, that is going to be manifest. And so, and so when we live by God, that's when we are set free from that. And so we need to live every moment by moment saying that, God, your will over my life continually facing my direction towards Him. Amen? And so now, verse 9 to 10. Okay, once again, he accuses Israel of their sin. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. And so, B.C. 750, around B.C. 750, and Gibeah is around B.C. 950. So about 350 to 400 years, Israel has been corrupted. And so even the 300 years that passed by, they're still committing the same sin. What was the sin of the time of the judges? It was that they did as they pleased. They did as they saw fit. And so they lived that same life of the flesh. And 300 years later, they're committing the same sin. And so in the big picture, 300 years is not a lot of time. But, but 300 years is still a lot of time to us, right? Relative to us, right? Even 100 years ago, was, the world was so different. Not just 100 years, but think about when you were young and us, right? The way kids play these days is different from the way we play. We used to play hacky sack and, and hopscotch, but what do kids play now? They, they, they all play with the cell phones on video games. And so even just 30 years ago, the world changed completely. Have you ever played hacky sack or jacks or have you played with the top? Uh, 
So when you first would buy a top, you would soak it in salt water and then you would dry it. And then, and then you would tie the rope around the tops firmly on the bottom so that it wouldn't move. And then you wrap it firmly, firmly, and then you get ready and you get ready. You, you tighten it so much and then when you let it loose, the top spins. Why is he talking about this? <laughs> It'll spin for 15 to 20 seconds. Top. In English. I don't know what's Spanish. Yeah, it's a top. You spin a top. If you do not know what a top is, you can look it up. Oh, am I? Is this Babylon? <laughs> And so, even though 300 years have changed, they're not changing. Even though the world is changing, the evil does not change. And so, continuing on. Um, There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? And so, remember, at this time, 11 tribes came against Benjamin. God is pleased when they are united. They are a whole nation. But they, for their own reasons, tried to kill their own brother. And so that's the same thing that's going on right now. And so through this war, again, he's judging Israel. And that only Judah will be left over. The remaining ten tribes of Israel will be destroyed. Verse 10, when I please, I will discipline them. And nations shall be gathered against them. So when I please, it means that the level of evil has been filled. That the cup of wickedness has, is overflowing. And so I will discipline them and the nation shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. So again, this is talking about God is saying that they are doing the same thing. And so this double iniquity has been spoken throughout Hosea, right? Is that they betrayed their, their husband, Yahweh, and they committed the sin of immorality. And for this reason, God is going to, they, they relied and trusted and, and put confidence in powerful nations of the world and in idols. And so God uh, comes against them. He justly comes against them. And so when we worship God, the world when we serve the world we are betraying our husband god and so this and so of course you will be judged and this is the result of living in the flesh and so so as it says in zechariah or no in isaiah that assyria attacks israel and and scatters them all over the face of the earth Right, they, they, they come to Samaria and they destroy Samaria and scatter it. So this is the judgment that God has proclaimed and it comes to pass. So moving on, verse 11 to 13. Okay, this is a parable of their sin. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh. And so what is a trained calf? A calf that has been trained well, that has received good instruction under a good teacher. And so was an obedient calf. That's what this trained calf means. And so became a calf that was trained well. And yet, and yet this calf, this Israel, this obedient Israel that loved to thresh, And I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. 
And yet now through their disobedience, they became disobedient. They became a disobedient calf. And how does God express this? He says that I spared her fair neck, but now I will put Ephraim to the yoke. And so it says that I spared their fair neck, but now what is he saying? That he's going to cut their neck because they have been disobedient and they have discarded God and they chased after the world. Now God is going to not spare their neck. This is God's judgment being proclaimed. So ever since Amos, God is saying that I'm going to make a visitation and this visitation isn't a visitation of life, but a visitation of judgment. And so this fair neck that I spared, it, the, fair, the fairness of the neck is not a problem. Because it was fair, I spared her. But now I will spare her no longer. I will put Ephraim to the yoke. And so should... If Ephraim is, it says, I will put Ephraim to the yoke. And uh, in Asian mindset, people ride cows. But in Israel, they do not. It's, it's an impossibility. It should not be. But because Israel serves idols, they're doing this impossible thing. And because they're doing this impossible thing, that's, and so they're receiving this judgment that should not have been reserved for them. And so Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. And so what can the cow do? The cow can pull the plow, but the best thing the cow can do is not to be yoked, but to just plow the plow without freely eating what it needs to eat. And that's what it was open to it. But now it's going to be yoked so that it cannot eat out freely, but it can only, it's going to be put to work, backbreaking work to plow the field. And so it was a trained calf that loved to thresh the, the grain. Right? It was best for him to thresh the grain. He could enjoy the grain that was left over and yet also benefit his master. But now all that's left is time of suffering. So let's continue. Verse 12. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. And so though this is in the current of judgment, but finally God's expectation and God's heart is being expressed. His heart for their restoration. So what does he say? What is God's hope for them? Sow for yourself righteousness and reap steadfast love. Because this is, the, what is he saying? To return to the essence of the covenant. Right? Righteousness, zedek, and steadfast love. And so, sow our righteousness and reap steadfast love. And so, uh, this righteousness and covenantal love, this steadfast love of God, is the most important thing in our lives. God gives us righteousness and And we need to receive in faith that He has allowed us to meet with Him at all times. That when we receive that righteousness, we can draw near to Him. And when we draw near to Him, we receive His love. And that is the only secret, that is the only method for us to live our lives. And when we do so, then what's going, what do we need to do? Break up your fallow ground. What is this? This is a call to repentance. That we need to be a fallow ground, the good soil that can bear fruit. 
And so every day, break up that fallow ground, tilling it, tilling it until it is the good soil, so that even so that it can absorb and 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 what's it called? Carry the seed supply, so that it can so that it can grow and bear fruit. And so saying to repent every day, for it is. And so as you repent, what what happens? For it is the time to seek the Lord. So they need to meet with God, and in order to, they need to be prepared to meet with God. And so they need to seek the Lord. They need to yearn for God, as it says in Proverbs 3.17. As he speaks of wisdom, the one who loves me will seek me earnestly. And so our spiritual state needs to always be thirsting for God, seeking for God. If you live by the flesh, then you will look for, you will not yearn. But if you are living by the Spirit, you will always be yearning, always be seeking God. This is evidence that you are living in the Spirit. And so yearning, a yearnful heart is proof that your intellect, emotion, and will is not bound. Why are you bound? Because you are, why are you exhausted? Because you are living in the flesh. Many times you think that, oh, I'm so exhausted, I'm tired, I'm, I, I cannot do this anymore. And so, what does it say in Isaiah, or Psalms 40? Is that those who seek the Lord will be filled with new strength. Those who look to the Lord will be filled with new strength. And so, it doesn't matter how long you've been living as a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you've been a pastor. Your life should always be characterized by yearning for God, seeking God. So those who seek to God, their prayer will be eager and earnest. If your prayer is not eager, that means that your intellect, emotion, and will is bound in one way or another. So we need to seek the Lord. Amen? And so what happens? That He may come and rain righteousness upon you. So His righteousness, His zedek will rain down upon you. This is the principle. This is the order of things. If you sow righteousness and reap steadfast love, this is your principle. And that's what we need to have. And what in order to do so, what do we need to do? We need to break up your fallow ground. We need to keep repenting. Amen? And through repentance, what happens? We seek the Lord. And as we seek the Lord, we can meet with Him. Amen? And so this is God's hope. This is God's hope for Israel. And this is what needs to be in order to be restoration. But they are no, in no condition to do so. And so this must always be before us. And so at all times, we need to yearn for righteousness and steadfast love, repenting, seeking the Lord. Then there will not be a problem, even if we fall. And so let's move on to verse 13. You have, and so verse 12, because they did not live this way, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice. And so they should have reaped, uh, sowed righteousness and reaped steadfast love, but they have plowed iniquity and they have reaped injustice. And so what is iniquity? It is the self. It is your self-centeredness, your self-standard, right? As Habakkuk defined evil, wickedness, iniquity is living by yourself. And so when you live for yourself in the self-centeredness, if you live by the self, then you will uh, plow iniquity, then what will you reap? You will reap iniquity. And, and what is that fruit? You will eat in, you have eaten the fruit of lies, the fruit of lies. Because what is the focus of, of iniquity? It is the self. And what is the self? The self is a liar. 
you cannot open yourself to God. And so that's why you are a liar. And so look at prayer. Prayer is, is being open to God, honest to God. Uh, that, that the hurts you are going through, the pain you're going through, you can express to God. You can tell, express your shame to God. The, you need to be right before God. But if you are living by the self, living by the flesh, then you cannot give this kind of honest prayer to God. That, Lord, oh, I'm, I'm okay. The Father God, it's hard, but, but I'm okay. And honestly, they can't, to an extent, they don't even recognize their pain. They don't recognize their, their hurts. And so they are li- they're eating the fruit of lies. And so they are unable to be truthful before God. And so we need to be able to confess truthfully our, our, our sins and our hurts, our wounds, and our bindings. So if we do not confess this to God, then something inside of us is rotting. As it says in Psalms, that the unrepentant heart rots, rots the bones. And so if we have these hurts and wounds, we need to be able to be a heart that is open to God, that can express to God and, 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 and tell God how we feel. And so if not, then we are eating the fruit of life. And so because you have trusted in your own ways and in the multitude of your warriors. And so... What is wickedness is being self-centered. Their wickedness is their self-centered. And so the Babylon worships strength. And because they live in this self-centeredness, they live by their thoughts. And because they live by their thoughts, they trust it in their own way. And because they trust it in their own way, they can't help but plow iniquity and reap injustice. This is how terrifying it is to live self-centeredly. So what does it say in Proverbs? That... that uh, the way it looks right to a man, but it leads to destruction. And so, and, and the wages of sin is death, right? And so, what else? In the, you, they trusted in the multitude of your warriors. Again, tr- trusting in strength, worshiping strength and power. And so, we need, should not seek the strength of Babylon. Don't yearn for it. You do not need that strength. We need the strength of God. that God lives my life, then why do we need the strength of Babylon? We do not need the strength of Babylon. We seek God and God gives, and when God gives, that is the life that is beautiful. It's not you trying to make something of your life. You do not need to form something of yourself. No, just seek the Holy Spirit because this desire to, to succeed, to achieve, is such a footfall. So verse 14, Verse 14 and 15 is finally the application of that judgment. Therefore, the tumult of war shall rise among your people. And so warfare is being proclaimed, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Assyria comes crashing upon northern Israel, they're breaking down all of their fortresses. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. And so Beth Arbel... Beth Arbel, if you look at the Septuagint, what it says regarding Beth Arbel, it is saying it's the house of Jeroboam. And so then what is it saying? As Shalman 
Shalman is speaking of Shalmaneser V, the, the king of Assyria that destroyed northern Israel. And so look at how accurate Look at how accurate uh, the prophecies of the Bible is. And this is what and this is my belief that 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 uh, Cyrus was prophesied of before he even existed. And uh, my belief is that Daniel showed Cyrus uh, the prophecy in of Isaiah that that prophesied his is coming and so as shaman destroyed beth arbel and so this is talking about shaman as the fifth destroying and our mothers were dashed in pieces with their children so look at the cruelty that is being described here because jews are their family line is count their genealogy is counted through the mother Right. This is the the, the um, recendiation of that leadership of uh, of of the blessing that God has given Israel in Genesis, and then verse 15. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. So, for, if verse 14 was judgment against Samaria, then now verse 15 is judgment against Bethel, which was the place of worship for northern Israel. And so, as Samaria is destroyed, so is the place of worship, Bethel. So, at dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. And so, normally, the dawn is a symbol of hope, but that symbol of hope is no longer a symbol of hope, but rather uh, um, judgment. And so... And so, of course, the restoration of Israel has been prophesied, and, but, but there is no longer is a king in Israel, right? The king now comes through the line of Judah. And so look at how dangerous and how scary and how terrifying this prophecy can be. And so let us pray. Okay, so it ended really quickly, didn't I? And so... So what do we need to hear today? What needs to be clear to us today is that we cannot live with anything mixed, that we cannot live with a heart divided, that we need to live by God alone in these end times, that those, the pure and, 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 and pure who lives for God, who is sanctified for God, they are the ones who will live, right? That is the era that is upon us that there's nothing that can save us apart from God. And so if we are mixed, we will be destroyed. That is the faith that we need to have, that we should not have anything apart from God. We should not yearn for anything apart from God. And so we are gathered here to, to, to be purified and sanctified before God, to live for God alone. And so for this, we need to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Amen? And so, are you dreaming to have a church that has thousands upon thousands of people? That should not be the case. That's not our desire, right? But no matter how many is in our church, that that church would be the church of God. That is what our hope must be. Is that not your hope? Don't you, want, don't you hope for your church to be the church of God? I say this to our church members all the time. 
that it's okay if you leave our church, but when you, the next church that you find, make sure it is a church of God. Okay, so your first decision shouldn't be to leave the church. Your first decision should be what finding the church that you can go to. Because God will send His church, will send His people where? To the church of God. And so what is the church of God? The church that lives for God alone, that reigns, that God reigns over. And so, and so no matter how the scale of that church, no matter how many members that that church must have, may have, the goal of that church must be God. And so the church should not be mixed, should not be... Be, should not be adulterated. That adulteration is the problem. We need to be pure and sanctified. That, th- that God alone is my only way. That is the church. This is not something that we can make of ourselves, but God's glory pours out and makes it inside of us. And so we need to believe that His glory is being poured out upon us. And so we need to receive that in faith and believing that God alone is what I can, is, will be the source of my life. Amen? Then if so, then they will not be difficult. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. And through Hosea, Lord, you, Hosea has been prophesying judgment. And judgment is simple. They should have lived by God, but they didn't. Their heart was divided. They lived by the flesh. They looked to Baal. They looked to the world. And so, God, you showed us that evil, that the source of that evil. And so... Uh, as as Zechariah 5 prophesied that in these end times uh, the enemy is going to be revealed but Lord you will also set apart your church that, that will live for you alone the church like the church in Philadelphia that has secret paths open to you Lord the church that serves Yahweh alone the church that lives for God alone the church that is under the dominion of God and so Lord Zoe ministry may bless this Zoe ministry that they would be a church that lives in this way that Zoe ministry this one great church should be able to stand in this glorious church. Though there are many things that have mixed into us, that have been adulterated into us, Lord, as this word is being proclaimed and as we receive it in faith, may you separate those things out of us and may you cleanse us of those things. And when we determine to live by you alone, may your church stand in victory. And going beyond that, that on the day of your return, of your glorious kingdom coming, that we would know that we are being prepared as your holy bride. And Lord, as meeting with you is not simply meeting as an individual, but we are meeting as a church. And every Zoe Ministry Network church is being united together as one glorious unit. And we yearn for this precious glory. And so, Lord, reveal of the things that have been mixed into us and with a right heart, with an honest heart, that we would stand before you and that all of these things would be revealed and that through your blood, all of these things would be dealt with, that we would be pure and sanctified before you. Let us pray all together in the spirit. 